There was an idea to bring together a group of remarkable people to see if we could become something more. So when they needed us, we could fight the battles that they never could. is an immoral act. Overpopulation, climate change, rise of neo-fascism. Did you take your Valium? Yes. yes. Why? We've got orders to cross here. That is the German front line. If we're not clever about this, no one will get to your brother. I will. wrong dad please tell me the man is dying she doesn't know so you can't say anything the family thinks it's better not to tell her why is that better chinese people have saying when people get cancer they die Hello and welcome to Beyond Bechdel, the podcast about film and feminism. I'm your host Contrera. This is part three of a what was originally one part season has now turned into a three part season about the best films of the decade taking a look at films from the perspective of how well they're pushing forward feminism the last decade didn't quite fulfill all of my women friendly objectives however nick and i talk through some truly wonderful films looking at all sorts of issues from gender and race through to love and superhero narratives. As it's 2020 now, I wanted to start on a more positive note. And so I asked some previous guests on the podcast to answer two questions. The first was, what were they most proud of achieving in the previous decade? And the second was, what are they most looking forward to in the next decade? Peppered through this episode are the responses of Jen Francis, Audrey Fox, Emma Butt and Becky Matthews, all absolute pioneers in their field, amazing women and great guests who have pretty much positive things to say on the whole. So I really hope you enjoy their positive perspective on 2020 and beyond. And now, I suppose, I should talk about my own personal achievements. I started Beyond Bechdel two years ago, and um, it has been a lot of hard work, but also great fun. And I've made some real friends um, in the process of recording episodes. And I've met so many talented women. Um, I'm so grateful for that opportunity. Also, last year, I finished my novel, which is called Doll's House, and I'll put a link to it in the show notes. And I also made my first short film, or one of any decent length, even though it's five and a half minutes. It's called In a Hole. Um, As you can imagine, it passes the Bechdel test. Um, It's on Vimeo, it's free to look at, um, and I'll put another link there. And I would love it if you would have a look and maybe give a comment or tell me how much you hate it. This decade, I want to capitalise on my bravery 
and start making more of my own content. I'm writing more scripts. I've got a feature length one ready. I want to make another short. I want to focus on all of the things that I'm fascinated with, which uh, include time travel and sci-fi from a feminine perspective, um, romance, all sorts of stories out there that are traditionally female and those that are traditionally male. I want to break down all those barriers and make work and help others make work that destroys all of the potential issues that currently face female filmmakers. Um, Yeah, that doesn't sound too bad. It's quite hard talking about your own personal stories. Um, I'll now let some other people do that. And following that, there'll be mine and Nick's uh, last two top picks for films of the decade. Thank you so much for listening to Beyond Beckdale. Here's our chat. We saw it start to happen um, towards the end of the last decade, and that's the fact that in film, women are continuing to infiltrate what is stereotypically um, a male division, especially in the likes of the superhero genre, where the sort of success of Patty Jenkins directed Wonder Woman and Brie Larson as Captain Marvel showed that it's not left only for men to take the reins in certain categories. It's for every gender to try, fail or succeed. And in the same vein of trying, failing and succeeding, it's utilising what we have before us in the way of social media and technology to create what we want to create. More than ever, as the tail end of the last decade has shown us and what we will continue to use in the decade to come is a self-given opportunity for creatives, especially women, to get a foothold in the industry or having the confidence to create our own spaces. I managed to write a play and a web series in 2019 alone. And aside from feeling slightly less awkward about talking about my work these days, it's made me incredibly optimistic about the decade to come and what can be achieved. Welcome back to the podcast for the third and final part of this three-part that was one-part series and then became two-part, and is now a three-part series on our best films of the decade. Say hello. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I didn't realise you'd finished. Um, Hello. Okay, so, in the last episode, I believe we finished at 2017? Yes. And... um, we are now moving to your top film of 2018. 2018. But do you have any runners-up? Um, well, I have... It actually came down to two. So just to remind everybody, your criteria for best film of the decade in each year is basically what you like. Yeah, the film I, the film I prefer, whatever that happens to be. And you've previously given us some runners-up... And a favourite, based on what you like. A certain man whose name that rhymes with Gallic has has appeared on your list a lot. And when I was listening to... Well, twice, twice. When I was listening to the previous podcast and I was editing, I was like, wow, we mentioned that man's name so many times you could have a drinking game. He's a genius, can I say. So, back to 2018. Yeah. Your runners-up. Well, uh... I'll, I'll, I'll do it like this: one, one runner, one sort of third place, because I think the first, the, whatever, the film that was the winner, it was a choice between two that was quite close. 
But the third place was um, Annihilation, uh, which is that uh, Natalie Portman uh, sci-fi film that was uh, made by Netflix and got a brief, I believe, cinematic release and then ended up being a bit of a staple. Uh, but um, very good film, uh, very very like a Stalker, Tarkovsky film. Um, You've previously mentioned Alex Garland, haven't you? Because yeah. didn't you men- mention yeah. Ex Machina I, in I the didn't. previous... I, did I mention it in the previous it. episode? Might, yeah, we definitely it. talked about him. Yeah. Uh, and why is it you liked Annihilation so much? Well, I, I mean, I, 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 it didn't win, but it, it, is, it, is, it does have that kind of weird and wonderful um, unexplained sci-fi element to it which I think goes well in the genre Um, and so that's a sci-fi film yes and that's when when you say genre that's what you're saying you're saying you just really like yeah I I really appreciate uh, sci-fis that uh, are ambiguous and and Annihilation is particularly ambiguous Um, but uh, it didn't win it didn't win okay so that's your third place Mm mm-hmm and then what? So now, so you literally have um, bronze, silver, gold here. Well, no, not not exactly. But um, I it, there was two films that it, I was it could have gone to either. Okay, so you've got two. You, oh no, no, you've got you haven't got two runners up. You've no, I've got, got one runner up. One gold, one silver. Yeah, yeah. Okay. In essence, um, the film that didn't quite win, but is a brilliant film, was uh, Roma. Ah, uh, yes. Um, I think that's on my list. Yeah, it is a brilliant film. As the decade comes on, have you noticed we've been getting a bit closer? Yeah. Another Netflix film as well. So they were doing yeah. um, just talk, a, talk a bit about Roma. Just, just an, who, who was it? Was it Alfonso Cuarón, was yes. it? Yeah. Um, just an excellent slice of what appears to be Alfonso Cuarón's sort of upbringing or, or, or an explanation, a, a little look at what happened to him in childhood. And with just some very powerful images, all shot in black and white. Um, just a very good film, very watchable. Um, very well done. And from my perspective, jam-packed with issues affecting women. Mm. There's there's things with abortions and having babies and choices that mothers make and how it affects them depending on what level of poverty or wealth they yeah. have. Um, it sees things very much from one woman's perspective who probably hasn't had enough stories told about her a Roma maid from Mexico mm. City um, the most beautiful cinematography yeah it is isn't it absolutely yeah. stunning and I think it has that slightly more reserved acting style that you, that you get in these kind of films where bad things happen to people but they, they almost just get on with life um, and I think that's actually probably the, the reality for most people when these things happen um, but it didn't win it didn't win. Well, probably because it wasn't in the English language. And I mm. think this is your first non-English language choice. Possibly, yeah. Good I'm question. not sure I have any. Yeah. On my... Actually, actually, no, no, spoiler alert. One's coming up. Okay, one's coming up. Yeah. Um, yeah so I... we've, we've got into international cinema yeah. finally at the end of the yeah. 2010s. Been a bit unfair on international cinema, haven't we? It, yeah. It has been a very English-speaking-centric uh, list, but... Well, you're talking about your favourite, and I think I don't think it's a negative judgment on you that you like things in the language that you're a native speaker of. Think... Although a lot of your films that you've chosen, what people say in them isn't as important as it might be. Yeah, in that's some true. Other films. That's true. And yeah. Um, yeah, I think that you can always 
engage more um, as a native English speaker with an English speaking film because you're you're less preoccupied by reading subtitles. Um, which which I always I've always thought that it is distracting for you. You're not really appreciating the acting and everything else because you've always got one eye on the subtitles. Um, I imagine the experience for a say I don't know native Spanish speaker would be a lot different for Roma probably better and there's also the Roma dialect which mm. they have I thought um, when I was watching it it was really cool the way they had the different subtitles I don't know if you remember like some yeah. things were in square brackets and some things were italicised and yeah. it was kind of yeah. cool that they had like three languages at play yeah. there I thought that was cool okay but that's your runner up that's my runner up <gasps> it was quite it was close yeah. um, I think that speaks to how good cinema is at the yeah. moment as well yeah, the the film I ultimately gave it to. I don't think so much I'm giving it to this film as I'm giving it to the sort of climax of a lot of films. It's a bit like the way uh, the Return of the Lord of the Rings: Return of the King was really oh, gifted an Oscar go. largely off of the trilogy rather than that being individually the best film. Um, and I, what I've gone for, mm. and it's a genre that doesn't typically get critical attention, but I'm going to say it. I've gone for Infinity War, The Avengers. Ah, Marvel's mm. stuck yeah. on this list. Yeah. yeah, now, a lot of people are going to say, well, you know, it, Marvel films are slightly lacking in um, critique, as it were. Um, that said, this year at the Oscars, as it were, Black Panther was nominated. For Best Picture. For Best Picture. In 2018 in Oscars. 2018 Oscars. Yep. The other big Marvel film released that year was Infinity War. Yes. And as a big Marvel fan, I know a lot of Marvel fans as well, the general consensus was Infinity War was significantly the better picture. Um, so why why Infinity War? Well, uh, well, hang on, I'll stop you a minute now. Sure. I don't think that's true. I think if you're a person of colour, you're much more into Black well, I, knew, I, I do know one or two who, who are Marvel fans as well and they yeah. all agree with me that, that they thought Infinity War was the better film I think it is the better film but I'm just saying it depends on what you're looking to your cinematic experience to do for you if it's portraying well, you on screen I think it's easy this is why you're invited on this podcast remember for your white man privilege <laughs> and so I can exploit it and I just think that like I agree with you wholeheartedly that it's. I think it's the better film. Don't get me wrong. But I'm not I think saying that, that might be because I'm white, and so well, that, well, we're on. the. Don't get me wrong. Black Panther, wait a minute. Don't get me wrong. Black yeah. Panther's not a bad film. No. At all. But it was the one that was nominated for best picture. But it was the one that was nominated for best Infinity picture. War. Yeah, and yeah. an Infinity War was just just as objectively as I can judge, and it's really quite difficult to do that. Obviously, yeah. Infinity War was a better picture. Okay, what is it that you liked about it? Well, Talk it's... about the plot, maybe. Well, I... to the extent you can. I mean, Talk I, about I, the whole MCU I mean, I, I don't really. You don't need to go into great details of plot, except to say that this is the the first part of a two part culmination, if you like, of um, the uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe. Now, of course, that's still going on, and there have been films released post uh, uh, Infinity War and Endgame. It's uh, its sequel, um, but I do feel as though in the 10 years prior of Marvel films we had, this was the culmination. This was the kind of, this was the final film in the sequence, if you like. 
they 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 seeded so much throughout the. Pre- I don't know how many films there were, like twenty previous films in in the MC, something like that. We watched all of them, didn't we? Before was that before Endgame, and I believe that was twenty two. Yeah, so. So I'm guessing it was the was so it the twenty first or no? What was Black Panther after ooh, Infinity War? I couldn't tell you. I couldn't. Yeah. Okay. So it's the twentieth or twenty first. It must have been before actually, because Black Panther appears in uh, no, it's an Endgame. Ooh, don't know. Now you're asking. Not sure. Um, I think Black Panther's in Infinity War too. Yes, I think he is. Yes, because yeah. Wakanda's in Infinity War. Yeah, and um, I think Infinity War came out in June, mm-hmm. and I think Black Panther came out in like March. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. Um, but it is it is just a rip roaring kind of move through all of the Marvel characters that you've encountered, primarily the Avengers, which is sort of Iron Man, Thor, Captain America, and so on and so forth. Uh, I think you'll find Black Widow. Uh, Black Widow as well. Put her at the top. Yeah, where she deserves to be. Um, plus, plus Black Panther, plus the Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, Scarlet Witch. Scarlet Witch. Loads of them. Effectively, everyone Just you've... Just mentioning all the women. Effectively, you've, everyone you've mentioned, uh, everyone you've... Uh, seen in, seen a film in the previous yeah. films have some Hulk. general experience at this at this kind of point. Um, and it's just a story uh, around a sort of intergalactic villain known as Thanos and, and their attempts to sort of stop him. And there's the Thanos of it all. Yeah. That's important, yeah. isn't it? Um, so... What's so good about this film? Well, I think the MCU is one of those things that could have effectively gone wrong very, very easily. Considering and how was quite wrong at the beginning. Yeah, I mean, considering how badly some superhero films have been made in the past, particularly in the nineties, I seem to recall quite a lot of bad ones. This had this had you know shit written all over it from the word go, but they held it together very well. The MCU, they made sure there was good show running, they made sure there were good plot points that were seeded, and critically. They they sort of built very reliable, constant ensemble casts. Same person playing Iron Man, same play, person playing Captain America and Black Widow and so on and so forth. And you think that's a key part of this? I, I think the audience identifies with it more if you've got the same person going on. And this is a long sequence of films, so they really had to sign on for a long time. Um, I also think as a, as a genre the superhero film is lends itself to an ensemble cast a lot better mm. than the most things do. And in fact, the best MCU films, I would always say, are the ones with more cast in them. And this is the ultimate. This has a, a, every single one of them in it in some Except shape or form. Except for maybe Endgame, but yeah. Well, you see, I didn't like Endgame as much. And the reason why is because it lacked... Because of, I'm not going to give you away the ending of Infinity War right here Don't and now. Don't spoil the except, Endgame! Except to say that half of the people that were in Infinity War are not in Endgame, except towards the end. And therefore, you lose something, I think. Yeah. Um, without, I mean, if you've ever watched any MCU films, you'll know that there's different tones to different different kinds of films. And where I think it really works is in comedy. That they really get the comedy quite well, particularly in the Guardians of the Galaxy films, really get that down. And there's something quite funny, inherently funny, about seeing Iron Man um, having a bit of a an argument with, uh, you know, Star Lord or something like that. It, <laughs> it's it's interesting to watch. Yes. Works out very well. Um, it's very, very engaging, very gripping, um, and it has a very, very good story arc, which leaves you desperate to see the sequel. And it's probably the reason why Endgame did so well, because it was an insane amount of money it made, is because people were so desperate to see what, what was going to happen after Infinity War. Um, now, a lot of people would say, yeah, but, you know, is it as good as Roma? You know, critically, would you judge it? But I, I, I don't think they get the credit they deserve for the for these kind of films where it could so easily go wrong and it works really well 
Do you remember the film Who Framed Roger Rabbit? I do, yes. Great film. I think a lot about that film because I think about how Roger was obsessed. I think it was Roger was obsessed with finishing off something. Do you remember it was thing that went a shave and a haircut today? Do you remember this? Yeah, and I do. He, and I think he's hidden in a wardrobe or he's hidden somewhere, and then someone yeah. says something, yeah. and he can't help himself. He's a tune. He has to finish the rhyme because he's a tune. Yeah. And I think that to your point about Endgame is that like Infinity War has to be so good. Mm. And because it sets up that so well, mm. you've got the two-day bit coming. Yeah. And, and in a way, it almost... I think that's why I liked Infinity War more, because ending it on that downer of the big snap and um, not knowing what's happening next, but ultimately knowing that there's another film coming that we didn't even know like the name of I don't think at that point there was a huge thing about what it's going to be the name and then there was a photograph and everyone was trying to work out what was hidden in the photograph like I think that Infinity War deserves your position I agree with you because it created that necessary demand Mm. because it was so good and so out there with, with, with like quite wild in what it decided to do in ultimately a family movie, yeah. which is leave the audience completely bereft and having to wait 18 months or whatever yeah. it was. Yes, indeed. Um, it also posed a bit of a moral conundrum, which we've chatted about many times, um, which is that um, Thanos' ultimate goal is to effectively wipe out half of the, well, yep. know, intelligent life of the universe. I'm not mm-hmm. sure about the rest of it. I don't know. Um, and he is painted as the bad guy for doing this. But there's a lot of people, myself included, watching this going, would that be such a bad thing? This is known as the subreddit, yeah. Thanos Was Right. Yeah. There is a whole community of Redditors on Reddit going, we agree with Thanos. Well, so I, I don't think you're on... Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's a well-established, isn't it, now, that... The, the principle on which he was operating, which is, look, I'm going to randomly wipe out half the people. It's going to be, therefore, totally fair in a way. Um, and as a result, you're going to have more resources. Now, considering all the problems we have with overpopulation and so on and so forth, all right, it's brutal, it's harsh, mm-hmm. but there's, there's a lot of people who think, yeah, actually, it, it, it may be the best way of doing it. Your team Thanos. I am. I think he. I think he could have been a bit. I think he could have been a bit more nice about it. Shall we say? I think there's a another issue at play that stems from that, which is that uh, Captain America alludes to this in one of the films, and I cannot remember which one it is. And maybe it's Infinity War, where he says, "The few are the many, or the many are the few," mm-hmm. and it's the whole thing about. And this just permeates cinema and makes us like stories, which is. If you care about someone, if you learn about a character individually, it becomes a lot harder to be unbiased about their story, what they're doing, or if they die. It's everything that cinema tries to do when it moves you. And I think that's the Thanos story. That's what's so interesting about it, is that... Thanos, we we can all agree with the idea that, like, you know, half the universe, if there's not enough resources could be wiped out and then the rest could thrive doesn't sound like a terrible idea when it's seen in the hypothetical yeah and then this is a bit like the good place as well when you've got a trolley problem it's basically it's basically 
the trolley problem for the universe. Yeah. When you start saying, oh, but I know Hawkeye and I know Hulk and I know Captain America and I can see the good they've done in the world and the way they've helped people, I don't want them to be snapped away. Mm. And I think it's a really um, like clever debate about the nature of caring for someone you know versus you know someone in another country another planet another solar system halfway across the universe who you don't know whose fate you don't yeah. care about well, you're in, you're invited to root for the avengers yeah. and friends aren't you and humanity uh, uh, yes um even though well, I, I don't think I don't think you would anyone would just sit there and wholeheartedly agree with, with Thanos. But but he doesn't. He's not completely morally bankrupt. There's no doubt about that. He seems to he seems to be onto something. And the whole part with um, Gamora, mm. we're kind of getting in spoiler territory here. But yeah. I just feel like people must have seen Infinity War, or they're never going to see it. The bit where you know he has to sacrifice the thing he loves the most is a way of showing that the bad guy, the textbook villain, also cares about something, yeah. also is righteous and wants to do something yeah. that he thinks is ultimately for the good of the universe. Yeah. Um, so I'm with you. It, and as a, as a... I don't know if I'm with Thanos. I'm, I'm, I, I sort of wonder, after after Infinity War and Endgame, I, I wonder whether or not the MCU has sort of reached the height of its parabola now and, and whether, it, whether it's going to go downwards because anyway, I, i'm not sure where you go far from, this. from home i'm not sure where you go from this and and it's 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 i mean i've, I've seen you know like i've had a look at this next phase and there's another black panther movie and of course that Di- we do. And of course uh disney now own uh fox so they may be able to pull the the x-men into it or something I of that nature that they are bringing in the uh, x-men yeah but but the eternal but this feels this feels like the end of uh, the end of the mcu to me it feels like i would end it at this point I'm not saying start don't start something different but th- but uh, these two films were such a bonanza and they were they were so incredible um well we're now getting into the anti-hero superhero narrative yeah which you know is continuing with joker which isn't a film that we've seen yet mostly because i'm avoiding it um but i, I feel like the superhero narrative has been so rung through in the tens, what do we call it? The teens? What did we call it in the nineteen hundreds? Well, the uh, teens, the zeros and the tens. I don't know. Are we in the <laughs> ten? The tennies? I don't know. But in the in the tennies, it was Spider Man, Spider Man, Superman, DC, Marvel, Black Widow, Wonder Woman. It, it it goes on and on and on and on and things like Watchmen, which I absolutely loved last year, but we've become absolutely soaked in superhero we have, narrative. We have, and we, but, we, but we still lap it up. Um, and, and it might well be that eventually, you know, the audiences get tired of it, and they, they will in the end. They always do. There's all that's why you have genres ultimately. Mm. Um, but if I compare the MCU to say the the DC universe, that I think it's Warner created it. I mean, it's not even close. I mean, that, that is a mess, that universe, from it's start to finish. It's getting better because of Aquaman. It's getting better Wonder from Woman. a ridiculously low starting position. And it, is, and it is still nowhere near the, the level of the MCU. Not even close. Not even on the same planet. Hey, it's Audrey Fox. Um, so it's the beginning of a new decade. I'm feeling really, really optimistic. There's so much that I hope for 
for this new decade, um, not just for myself as a female film writer, but also just for women in the entertainment industry in general. On a personal level, I'm really looking forward to the opportunity to get to write um, for different um, publications about different issues, and I'm, I'm hoping to get to contribute a lot more about film and gender and all these issues that are sort of interrelated. Um for female film criticism, a thing that I would love to see is um, for women to continue to get opportunities um, to write, but also to not just write about quote unquote women's films, because it's great that there's now more of a, um, a willingness to do critical analysis on, on films that are about women and that appeal primarily to women, um, whereas before they'd sort of been shunted to the side. Um, but that's not all we can do as writers. So it would be really great to see female writers get the opportunity to contribute to a larger discourse about, about films that aren't just specifically, um, quote unquote, about women for women, um, chick flicks. So yeah, I'm, I'm really excited for that for women in the entertainment industry in general. Um, God, I don't know, a best director nomination would be nice. That would be cool. Um, a win would be even better, but like, you know, pipe dreams here, I guess. Um, but yeah, I just, I'm really hopeful. Um, and I'm really excited about the continuing opportunity that, that women filmmakers have to sort of tell the stories that matter to them and also to continue to uplift other women. Um, because that's really the only way that, um, women are going to have the opportunity to, play such a significant role in the entertainment industry, because if we're relying on men to sort of help us out and get there, sure, some of them will, but um, our greatest advocates and allies are other women. So it's wonderful to see the women who have gotten opportunities help other women along with them. So, you know, there's a lot to be optimistic about, um, and there's still a long way to go, but I am hopeful. I'm optimistic for the 20s to, you know, herald in a new age for, for women in the entertainment industry. And so we move into my analysis of the best films in 2018, which uses a completely different set of parameters, which are things where I think that women have been put front and centre, that films that have been directed by women that bring up women's issues and furthered the cause and the kind of thing we'd like to focus about on this podcast, um, which the winner of this category for me very much does so. And what I've enjoyed about the latter half of the previous decade is that I had a lot more to choose from. There was definitely, maybe it was to do with the Me Too movement, maybe it was just women getting fed up, maybe finally women were brave enough. But I started to have more films to choose from that were easier to find it wasn't that women weren't making films but they certainly weren't getting the attention and I've also considered in my ranking that um films had to have been seen by people and made a difference in that sense which is a bit harsh to all the people who've made all the women who've made amazing films that no one saw but such is life all of yours were like that as well weren't they yeah deals at the cinema yep. so my runners up Half the Picture, which is a documentary literally about how there aren't enough women mm -hmm. making films mm -hmm. um, by, I think her name's a Amy Adrian. Um, very important film. Uh, I saw this great film, Woman Walks Ahead, 
which actually might have been directed by a man, I can't actually remember. Oh, damn. Stars Jessica Chastain and is about Native American experience. Um, and I liked it because it brought Native American people to the front. However, it was still about a white woman. Um, really good film, though. I have Roma on my list. I have Annihilation on my list. Yeah. And something we didn't mention when you talked about Annihilation earlier is that there... But, but, and, and testament to you, this is, because you didn't feel probably that it was a big deal. But it's an absolutely massive deal that there are four female leads in yeah. that film. And that that film... Like, gender doesn't really play any part in it. Except I think there's a part at the beginning. Is is Oscar Isaac Natalie Portman's character's husband? And they have... Are they having problems with conceiving and having a kid? She doesn't have children. Something like that. She definitely goes in um, partially because Oscar Isaac has gone in... And has gone uh, missing. ...before him and has gone missing. But I feel like there was a little part of the narrative at the beginning because they're both like scientists and something's happening with having children. Anyway, other than that, it's just four badass women just going in there, all different racial makes makeups, all looking different. Basically a sci-fi horror, beautifully shot, with some really interesting thoughts about what would happen if aliens came to Earth. So, yeah, I just wanted to mention that. A Wrinkle in Time, I want to mention that because it was a kind of an okay film. It wasn't an amazing film. It was a young adult um, film based on a book written by a woman in the 60s. And... Um, Directed by Ava DuVernay, and I wanted to mention it because she got a $100 million budget to make it, and I think she might have been the first ever person to get that, or certainly okay. the first woman, woman of colour to get that. Yeah. So, um, and, you know, it didn't do spectacularly well, but I still feel like that's a marker in itself. There have been plenty of men who've made movies which have absolutely tanked <laughs> and have been given millions and will be given millions again. So it's important to, for women to mark themselves out as being worth that money. Um. There's a German film called The Misandrist I haven't seen, but I love the sound of it, which is just about a group of women who are horrible to men. <laughs> anyway, that's all I want to say on that. Sounds great. Uh, yeah, and also The Hate You Give, which is a film about a um, teenage girl in America based on a young adult novel, Rainbow Women, um, but the film's directed by a man, where um, she has to code switch. I don't know if you've heard much of this, where basically she goes to a predominantly white school and she kind of has to... I don't want to say act white, but act differently and to how she acts at home with her black family. And it's about the violence between races. And I just thought that was quite a good film yeah. that I saw. Yeah. But my, um, my top pick uh, it, it, for me is the absolute essential film to be made making this list. And I want to talk about a few of the negatives first which is that this is not a film that represents everybody it's about highly educated intellectual literary types who live in new york who are white yeah and the lead man in it is paul giamatti so you can you can see where what, what i'm saying with this um and the lead woman is katherine hahn and it is a film called private life i believe it was a netflix only film and it's directed by a director called Tamara Jenkins and I don't know how much it cost and I don't know how much it made and I can't imagine it cost much or made much because it's a very small Netflix movie but 
private life is about this couple who are probably in their 40s who have found it very difficult to have children and so they're going through the process of IVF and in the middle of this the niece of the woman comes to stay with them and she's going through like teenage issues and they become really bonded in this kind of like semi um looking after her parental and also semi-friendship because she's like 17, 18. And she offers to have a baby for them. And it becomes this study of family dynamics and pregnancy and what it means to have a child and what it doesn't. But it's, I've never seen a film like it, which depicts the female gaze in a way that I think is truthful. having a female director and talking about an issue which really the vast majority of men are never going to understand which is what a woman goes through in order to have a period have a baby have an abortion um lose a baby all of those those things um is is so kindly and and tenderly displayed and realistically put out there on the film um i often talk about this and i think i've mentioned this previously on the podcast there is a scene where katherine hahn's character is looking at her niece 17 year old beautiful niece getting changed in the bedroom and i think this scene personifies everything i could possibly hope for in this new era of female filmmaking which is that it's a woman it's a straight woman looking enviously at a younger woman who is carefree about her body and she's just changing her clothes in front of her and that gaze on camera is just amazing because normally you get your Zack Schneider up your skirt pervy (laughs) somehow looking at her and that's not that's not what it is it's just an envious of a younger girl's body gaze and it's really hard for me to describe but this film put put this on camera and there are lots of little things like that there are lots of ups and downs between the relationships the characters i always enjoy when you have people of like different genders or different ages different races having having a conversation which is so stereotypically or or being in a relationship that's so stereotypically normally of one's of one way i.e like a straight white couple and instead you might have a mixed race couple or you might have co-workers and it's a man and a woman and there's absolutely no friction of sexual relationship or anything. We don't have enough of that when we watch these films. We always completely add in what we think is going to happen based on established narratives. And I just thought that private life was something I hadn't seen, which is a woman's take on a very particular issue. And also showing Paul Giamatti's character's experience as well, what he goes through, how he's dealing with things, the way their relationship works. There's a a lot to be compared to with Roma in this, which is just watching Mm -hmm. people talk to each other about their lives and it's not boring there's still tension there's still you know the rise and fall of a conversation but it's not a superhero film it's just about it's just as entertaining just watching people go through their lives and just from a woman's perspective and I don't think there's really much more else to say (laughs) because I've banged on about it but um it's a small film and it's funny and it's moving and it gives lots of different characters the time of day. And for me, it is the ultimate modern example of the female gaze mm. without that gaze being 
sexual. Because yeah. I don't actually know now I think about it. When we talk about the male gaze, we normally say there is an inherent, like, heterosexual perviness to it. Yeah. Um, and I just mean this is like a woman looking at a woman, a straight woman looking at another straight woman and having feelings about it, which are conveyed on camera. Um, and so that's it. Do, do okay. you think you do you think you'd watch it, or do you Absolutely. think this is you don't think this is too much of a woman's film? I don't think there's such a thing. Okay, I think men do that. Provided you watch Top Gun with me. <laughs> you think Top Gun is a man's film? Uh, well, ooh, well, the homoerotic, homoerotic subtext scenes there, aren't there? <laughs> of Top Gun. Now that you mention it. <laughs> No, I think that um, some women might say, or some men might say, superhero films are more skewed towards teenage boys. Teenage boys. <laughs> I would suggest uh, more than anything. Although I think I think modern the the, mod, the modern superhero film probably isn't like that. Hmm. Um, they're, they're always angling at. I mean, marketeers always angle at one age group or another, one gender or another. It doesn't mean that the other gender, the other age group, can't enjoy it. It's just that's what they do. Yeah. So, you'll mm. be watching Private Life. Sure. I'll Absolutely. be watching Top Gun. Everyone wins! You've seen Top Gun anyway. <laughs> Don't tell me you haven't seen Top Gun. <laughs> A hundred times. In this coming decade, I'm hoping to see women and more people of colour being put onto sound teams across high-end productions for drama and feature film, especially in head of department roles. Um, for the second year running in the Oscars, we only have one woman on one of the sound teams across all of the nominated productions, which frankly is just shocking in this day and age that that is still happening, but that is a reflection of our industry. Um, personally, I want to see more opportunities for me to mix drama and feature films. Um, again, it's something that as a freelancer, um, I really struggle to do because I am not part of a post house, but also as a woman, um, there are very few, uh, almost none, uh, female re-recording or dubbing mixers for, again, high-end drama or feature films. And in this coming decade, I want to see that change, both for myself and my colleagues. We've now reached the end of the decade at long last. It's only taken us about four hours. Yeah. Now... You struggled with this. Well, I struggled with it because I just haven't seen that many films from 2019. I'm a kind of a streaming service viewer uh, for the most part. So, You've been to the cinema. Yeah, I have, but I'm, I'm, I'm not going to go every single week. And as a result, um, I'm always watching films about a year later than they were released. So my choices for 19 are going to be limited just because I don't think I've seen uh, that many. Okay. What about it came out in 19, even if you may have seen it in early 2020? Oh, well, I mean, uh, well, 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 what are we saying there? I mean, I've watched films of the 1950s this year, but uh, I don't, I couldn't really include them in my list. I meant that we recently saw 1917, and I didn't know if you wanted to add that to your list because I know you enjoyed it that's, thoroughly. That's a 2019 release. Yes, that's mm. what year we're doing. Yes, uh, I, I thought I thought you were insinuating that it was a 2020 release. No, no, no. I was saying you no. saw it in 2020. Oh yeah, but it still counts as nice. Yes, okay. Um, well, that was the film I was going to pick, actually. As your winner? Yeah. Oh my god, I just totally spoiled it. The, of the of the films that I've seen. Do you, have you got any runners up? 
<laughs> nothing that's worthy of mention. You don't want to put Endgame in there. No, because I, no, I don't think it's as good as Infinity War at all. Right. Um, not at all. Um, I yeah. I mean, like th- th- there aren't there aren't that many. I've probably seen. I don't know. 10, 10 films actually what about, cinematically released. Let me give you some Oscar nominees. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? I wouldn't have that in, no. No? No, good film, but I wouldn't have it in. Okay. Marriage Story? Again, good film. Wouldn't have it in, though. You haven't seen Joker? Haven't seen Joker, no. The Irishman? It's long. He paints houses? It's long. Um, it's, it's a, it feels a bit anachronistic. It's like a Ooh. Goodfellas, what? You know, thirty years later, isn't it? And, yeah, thirty uh, years later, and nowhere near as um, and nowhere near as good, urgent. Yeah. Yes. Right. Well, let's cut to the chase. Well, it has to be nineteen seventeen. Tell um, me what it was about it. Okay. Well, we all know that that this is the the single shot or two shots, depending on if you can spot the 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 cut. Um. So you have to start with the the sheer technical prowess, the technical mm-hmm. ability to do that. Now, there are there have been single shot films made before or, or, or films that are possibly two shots where you can't see the cut. Um, yeah. But I don't think I've ever seen one that covers such distance. They, they tend to be quite geographically uh, limited because for obvious technical reasons it's a hell of a lot easier to do that um, when you're doing one shot. Uh, this one really does go um, right across the... Um, the British and German front lines across no man's land and so on and so forth. And to do all that in a single shot... Um, the, seeming single shot. Seeming single shot. <laughs> How many were there? Two, do we think? Two shots? No, I think there were hundreds. You think there were hundreds? Yes, I read an interview with Lee Smith, the editor, and it's like, yeah, there were loads and loads. That's okay. what, what makes good editing. Well, that is good. Yeah. But it's supposed to look like... But for argument's sake, it is it is a single shot. Yes, but, it's it, it intended um, to look like it's one person's perspective um, following through. Now, the biggest compliment I can pay to this film is probably that after half an hour, I don't think you're aware that you're watching a single shot anymore. Um, I, 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 I think you're, you're aware of it at the start, but you know about it. Going into the film, you know about I it. I disagree, but I don't... I, I don't... I, it, if anything, it heightened my enjoyment. Because mm. mm. there were parts in that film where I'm like, you know you're not seeing that person's perspective. You're seeing it from this, like, narrator. Yeah. Omniscient... Yeah. Audio, visual narrator perspective. Yeah. Um, but, but I know what you're saying. There are some. Yeah, there well, are well, some. Well, parts. I think what I'm saying is you get yeah. you 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 get drawn to the story to such an extent Absolutely. that you you sort of forget about it a little bit. Or I did anyway. Um, uh, it's it's quite a heartbreaking film. There's there's moments of tremendous emotion in it, and and you really feel it. Um, I do think as a war film, it is important that you portray the realities of war um the days of pearl harbor are gone we're now in we're now in the era of dunkirk and uh, and 1917 where where the, where the cold hard realities of, of the soldier on, on the beach mm-hmm. or the soldier on the in the trenches and and what that really means are, are sort of told um uh, and it is just a very beautiful way of doing it um two guys uh leave the trenches, leave the British trenches, um, trying to warn another British trench to, to avert an attack, mm-hmm. essentially, which is because they're walking into a trap. Um, one of um, one of them is, is... Against the Germans. Against the Germans. Um, they do this. Um, they risk life and limb. Doesn't end well, necessarily, for everyone. 
Um, uh, and along the way, they, they they sort of they they go through sort of various encounters of various things, you know, like a farmhouse in a field or a destroyed city or something like that. Mm-hmm. And at every stage. There's a sort of different feel to it. It's almost like there's different films you can feel. You can feel a bit of Saving Private Ryan in there. You can feel a bit of Apocalypse Now in there. Um, but you don't find that a bad thing? No, I, I don't. It's I, an homage. It's I don't, not... I don't, I, don't, I don't think referencing uh, previous classic war films is necessarily um, a bad thing. Yeah. Um, I'd feel differently if it was it gone all Pearl, Har- Pearl Harbor, I have to admit. <laughs> but it didn't. Of course it didn't. Um, I'm not sure how they could swing And uh, I, 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 found, I found it quite... Uh, Tear jerking, mm. quite a few, quite a few moments. I think at the end of it, you you feel quite like you've been through the mill mm. on that film. Now, I think when you watch a war film, you should feel like you've been through the mill. You you should feel that that horror and that terror. Um, and if, and and I think it really makes you think. Well, anyone on the front line in any of these wars, that must have been what it, you know. That 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 the fear factor on a daily basis. Mm. It's no wonder they came back shell shocked or PTSD or whatever it needs mm. to be. Um, beautifully made beautifully directed um some of the scenes and i know it's something that, that we've talked about before beautifully scored as well yes phenomenally well well done um, probably my favorite recent score yeah. because i noticed it but not like not in a bad way mm. in a way that i'm like this is really i can tell how much this has been added to it it came in and out and yeah yeah, scores, scores are a funny thing. I, yeah. I, I, there was Thomas Newman and is nominated for yeah, Oscar. Yeah, Thomas Newman. He's done some really good scores. Some very yeah. famous ones. He's done, he's done scores for films which probably the score is more famous than the film, or, or at least people remember. Or they, they, there'll be a piece of music and you'll kind of know it, but you won't know where it's from. And and that says a lot about Thomas Newman. Mm. He, he comes up with very very good scores like that. Um, Scores as well just have, in general, in my view, the capacity to make or break a film. I definitely rate films... In, for me, I, I will always give a higher rating to a film if mm-hmm. I like the score. Because I think it's the way that you get an emotional reaction from the audience. So when you're saying you like the score, though, what you're actually meaning is the score is put is used in the right way in the film. Yeah. It, it's, because it's, you're not just saying, oh, this is a pretty p- piece no, of no, music. No, 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 no. Where, where the score comes into play is is generating an emotional reaction. People, human beings, generally react more to music than they do to film, oddly. It, it, it's some, there's something in the combination mm. of notes that makes us react more. We, you, you never, I mean, when you hear a piece of music, oftentimes, you know, if it's, you haven't heard it for 20 years, you'll, you'll, you'll usually recall back of when you first heard it and it will mm. remind you of a certain time and a place. Um Images don't do that as much, oddly, because I think it's because you're, you're, you can physically see it. it it's slightly different. Mm. Um, and so for this reason, I always give a lot of praise, a lot of prop to any any film score that goes particularly with the image mm. and really hits it home. Um, I mean, I, I going back to previous years, I, I do think one of the reasons I love Night of Cups is because I also love the score. Mm. I, I think that was quite important. Yeah. I, I might. I, I. I. think I give it more. More <clears throat> credibility and more. Um, well, I give it more rating, shall we say, than your average cinema goer. I definitely do. But then again, I think the general critical establishment of film does not rate it highly enough. I, I, I think they see it as a visual medium. And I'm saying, yeah, but it's also a sound medium as well. To be honest, you've taught me because, like. I didn't really think much of scores before we met. I think I. I didn't consider it. I would never have thought to like purchase one to listen oh, and to. Oh, I've got loads. Yeah, and I really think they're just 
sometimes they are just the most beautiful pieces of classic music. Yeah, Particularly yeah. considering, you know, we don't have our Mozarts and our Beethovens anymore, but what we do have are our um, score composers who are our modern classicists, yeah, I th- ha- think. Hans Zimmer makes this point uh, repeatedly, that, that it, is the, it is the modern home of the, yeah. classi- of the classical composer. We, you're probably right. W- without it, I'm not sure that there is... that You wouldn't have the mass exposure. Certainly. Yeah, not the exposure. I'm not saying these things wouldn't be made. I just think that it might be a case of... Um, Mozart, well, not Mozart. I don't. I don't know who's a better. I don't know enough about classical music. But somebody who is is much more loved well after they died. Yeah. Yeah. But with film, it's getting out to this mass audience. Yeah. Now, even if it's not in the let's sit um, and listen to chamber music. Yeah. You know, it's modernised. Well, I, mean, I, 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 I would say future generations are probably going to place people like I don't know. John Williams or somebody, mm. they're probably going to put them oh, in, I think in, now in, in the they, classical rank. He has great, a lot of Oscars. Composers, aren't <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, even though he's doing it for film. But yeah. so what? I mean, yeah. that, 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 is, that is the medium that he happened to choose. Yeah. But, you know, hell, Star Wars, Superman yeah. are, all, are all just as memorable as a, a Beethoven or a Mozart in a way. I think in 200 years he will be on that same, on, on that same mm. level. And you also have now the um, meeting of pop music or, you know, commercial music with scores because you have things like there will be blood and the social network Mm. when you have people who've moved from their previous careers into scoring films um and i saw uh johnny johnny no johnny greenwood will greenwood no which of the greenwoods is it who scored Uh, i don't know will greenwood was a rugby player Is it Johnny Greenwood? They won a World Cup. To be yeah, fair, so. <laughs> but he didn't score the whole <laughs> Johnny Greenwood. Anyway, that guy from Radiohead, I saw him, even though I don't remember who he is, on a live showing of the film. You, I don't think you saw it. No, I didn't. Did you? No, this, was no. a, this was a few years ago. Yeah. Um, and Sounds cool. It, it was amazing at the BFI, yeah. and he was there conducting the orchestra. Yeah. And if you can remember, yeah. I'm sure you can, that score is incredibly stressful and has a lot of... Bzzz, bzzz, stuff yeah. happening which is like phenomenal to see yeah. and another time I saw um, uh, Harold and Maud and it wasn't Cass Stevens but it was someone playing all of the music yeah. throughout yeah. that film so actually to be fair Harold and Maud was a long time ago so it's not like it's a newer mm. thing but it's certainly newer to my attention yeah. that you can now have someone who was famous in music in their own right and then scores a film. Yeah. It's, all, it's obviously probably lucrative as well, I'm yeah, guessing. Yeah, I, I, I would imagine more a hell of a lot more lucrative than, say, releasing a CD. I, I, reckon, mm. I reckon you're going to get a lot more money yeah. for making a Releasing a CD, film. you're showing your age there. Uh, yeah, making a Stream tape. Stream it, baby. Making a tape, that's what you do. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I mean, I don't want to go off on too much of a tangent here, but it's, I think music's it, it, important it's also for this one decade. of the reasons why yeah. I rank, say... John Carpenter extremely highly because not only is he directing his films, but he's scoring them as well. I'm just he's like, well, there, there, there's a guy who is absolutely in total creative <laughs> control of his works, yeah. and he's actually a pretty good composer as well mm. to boot. Um, but I think in the last decade, it's come to more people's attention. Yeah, maybe I'm just saying that because it came to my attention. <laughs> but um... I, I, I don't know when. I mean, I, 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 I think I, I became probably aware of it. That there was something in it in in the nineties. I mean, you did have your your, your 80s, your Star Wars, mm. and your, your your John Williams uh, scores. But I I think I became more aware that your average film in the nineties seemed to have a, a high, slightly higher 
but better school, better quality school, more oh, memorable, whatever I you want to call it. Couldn't but, say. But that might, might be my age. That, 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 it might just hit me at a particular yes. age. Um, but I do think since then, yeah. And soundtracks too. Like I think that what we're talking about here and what makes 1917, just to bring this back to uh, yeah. where we were, is that it's a score. Yeah, it's yeah. not a soundtrack. Mm. And a soundtrack's also important and has given me, like films have given me access to so many songs that I may not have gained before like just the other day you and I were having a conversation and it was about a song that I knew back to front because it was from the Dirty Dancing soundtrack and you hadn't heard the song or it was the first time and I was like how do you not know that and then I realized like all of those 60s songs were just because I watched Dirty Dancing and bought that soundtrack not the biggest Dirty Dancing fan no but um I would I don't I can't imagine I would have found that music. That's fine. I mean, that, that I have. I think it's a great way to, to find new mm. music. And, and dare, Quentin Tarantino just, is very good at it. I was just going to say, yeah. dare I say it, Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction in particular yeah. definitely were significantly enhanced by his use of yeah. slightly unusual, um, particularly Reservoir Dogs, you know, uh, songs that weren't yeah. massively well known but be, have become absolutely synonymous with the film. Yeah. And maybe, if you're looking at it completely objectively, may have been quite jarring the way he puts certain like violent scenes up against like you know some Mm. um soul or something music but actually now he's converted it into that is the way that people soundtrack their movies yeah it's pretty impressive it is it is yeah um but overall uh been going back to 1917 um can't recommend it enough um i just think you need to be prepared you know, prepared to wipe your eyes yeah. a few times. I might have been tired when I was watching it. That might have <laughs> affected me. Because I wouldn't normally cry in a film. I, I did you cry? I, did um, I didn't cry. I just had a few sort oh, of like tiny moist, little moisture things. Moisture in your eyes. Moisture in my eyes. <laughs> which if I just concentrate hard and think about something else, I can make it go away. <laughs> oh dear. So you've learned nothing yeah. from showing um, emotion it, on it this is, podcast. I mean, the thing is, it, it, also, this film, 1917, is also released mm. the year after Dunkirk. And, I, I actually think that, that they are not dissimilar. Right, they're different wars and they're made different ways, but mm-hmm. I think they both try and do the same thing, which is a realistic depiction of, of mm-hmm. a certain conflict. Um, and using a hook. Yeah. I don't want to say gimmick, because I think the word gimmick now has negative connotations, yeah. but the hook of the of the seeming one-shot yeah. take and the, the sheer amount of effort it took to film that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. To, to look much more, I wouldn't say effortless, but like look, looking like it took much less effort on screen. Yeah, yeah. Is phenomenal. Yeah, fantastic film. Yeah, I enjoyed it too as a person who doesn't, who hasn't even seen that many war movies. Well, I mean, I've never seen Saving Private Ryan all the way through. Uh, well, okay. Yeah, I saw uh, Dunkirk. It was better than I thought it was going to be. Not, I wouldn't say I loved it. It's not a genre that I'm in love with in any shape or form, but I think there are two basic ways you can go with a war film. Um, there's there's a more traditional old Hollywood of sort of slightly glorifying it. Mm-hmm. And then there's the cold realism. And I think the cold realism began in the like 1970s with you know films like Apocalypse Now and The Deer mm. Hunter and so on and so forth. Um and, and ever since then, is that I, the anti-war war film? It, it is, it is. But I think I think most films that you war films you make now are to a certain extent anti-war because yeah. they are all they, they are required now to portray uh, the the sheer nasty bloodiness of it all and, mm. and the fact that everyone's kind of falling apart. Um, but I think 1917 doesn't 
hit you over the head with it. It's got it's hitting you over the head with so much more. It doesn't need to say signpost war is shit no it doesn't it, it doesn't. says come out of one set of trenches go across no man's land yeah. get into another set of trenches and realize that people are people and they're just divided by this line that has been created i think i think there's a sort of norm what, what i do like about 1917 as well and i think dunkirk does i think a lot of war films do it actually which is the normalization of the horror um that, mm. that is to say dead body over here, uh, guy with his arm missing over here. All brutal images for, yeah. for your average, you know, non, non-war-y person yeah. like myself. If you're exposed to that daily, you, you're still going to get on with your life. Now, I'm not saying it's not going to psychologically affect you. Perhaps on a permanent basis, it might well do, but mm. you've still got a war to fight. And I think that these films do that. As someone says in 1917, it's best not to dwell on it, mm. which is the worst thing ever probably and created a whole lot of ptsd but i understand the necessity of it within mm. the constraints of the film but what i would say to anyone listening to this he's like no thanks don't want to see 1917 don't like war it's a film about white guys about the conflict 100 years ago and all these people died i would say that this film war is the the mask you put on to get your funding as a filmmaker and then you take off that mask and you make the film you want to make which might be about love or the brutality of of warfare or in this case friendship and an ongoing quest i think this film manages to portray how horrific war Mm. is without it ever really being a film about Warfare? Well, there's, there's an old sort of trope. That makes sense. There's an old trope in sort of war films that goes, well, it's it's it, it's it it's probably true actually. It's not even it's it, um, I don't know. I've never been a soldier, but I, I, <laughs> it's been betrayed enough on screen to make me believe it. Let's put it yeah. that way. But ultimately, when it comes down to it, soldiers don't really fight for the cause. They they sort of fight for the person standing next to them. They they fight for their fellow soldiers. Hmm. Really, that that's what keeps them going. And 1917, I think, at its heart, is is isolated yes. in that area. Yeah, because there are so many people in it when you see the sheer number of soldiers, but then it's all about these little moments yeah. with other men yeah. which bond people, and it's the smallest incremental things that yeah. bond people together. But I suppose when you're both shit scared of being murdered by a bomb or yeah. by a bayonet, yeah. that that's enough. But yeah, I think um, I think I'm starting to realise that a war film can teach you things other than war it's a shame this is the or could teach you the you know the uh the fact that you know why war why have wars why is war bad it can can ask you those questions anyway true but i don't need a film to tell me that guess what i think you don't don't. and and, and a lot of people don't as well but there are some people that do Keep in mind, the First World War in 1917 is largely regarded as one of the most pointless wars in yeah. history in some regards. And one of the most costly as well. But certainly not a pointless film. No, not at all. So, you've ended the decade, mm. 2019, yeah. with another number, 1917. Yeah, weird, hey? <laughs> OK, big question, small answer. Um, I would like us to see some of the conversations that have been happening again and again about the lack of diversity and the lack of female representation and gender parity and some of the small progress that was made towards addressing that last year. 
like in the, towards the tail end of last decade come to fruition in this new decade. I'm excited for new work by some of the film, female filmmakers I already love, like Desiree Akavan and Greta Gerwig, but I'm also excited to discover new talent as well, or hope for, I'm, I hope that um, I, the directors that I love from TV won't make feature films, like Issa Rae, I think that would be very cool. Um, for me personally, I would... I'm excited to direct again, um, hoping to direct a short film this coming year, and then later on, maybe something longer, um, without wanting to jinx it. Um, yeah, I just hope that, I know that we can do better, and I hope that we can. Thanks. Okay, so just off mic, you said something which made me laugh because of the irony, which is you said, just read them off because we're doing this for long enough. <laughs> this is, we're an hour into the podcast here. And um, the irony of that statement is that the problem with 2019 as a year is that there've never been so many films. Good so, films made by fi- uh, female filmmakers. So you have filmmakers. The, the opposite problem that I had in some respects. Yeah. You had too many to choose from. Too many to choose from. And, and so many I still haven't seen. And so I have the similar problem to you, which is that I'm like, I can't even say whether this was my favourite because I haven't yet got to it because there have been so many yeah, yeah. good films. And it's quite funny because if you look at the BAFTA and the Oscar nominees, which is obviously when we're recording this before the awards ceremonies, but they're coming in the next couple of weeks, um, you wouldn't think films were being made by women because of the sheer number of male, white male films that yeah. are out there. And I kind of... I'm not as depressed about this as you would think someone in my position who's a rampaging feminist making a podcast about women in film would be because I think this is the last hurrah of the white men, old white men filmmaking stand. And I get that. And also I've seen a lot of these films and they are very good films. It doesn't mean that there aren't stories to be told by white men. It's just that they shouldn't be the dominant stories. There are other stories to be told and people should be getting a fairer crack. So that's my little message for the next decade. It's getting better and it will continue yeah. to get better. So my shortlist, um, Captain Marvel, co-written and co-directed by Anna Bowden, who is a woman, and a man who I don't know what his name is, which is always my um, favourite thing. Captain Marvel was between, was before Endgame, right? Yes, it yes, because yes, it, it had to yes. introduce Carol Danvers yeah, to then, the MCU. Who then fucked off for the entirety of the well, she Endgame. Was, it, they, her bit was made, I think they filmed Endgame before they filmed parts of it, before they filmed Captain Marvel. But um, I think it's like a step in the right direction with the superhero genre to make this woman-friendly superhero film in the yeah. middle like they couldn't put it in a better place if they'd have put it far from home which they couldn't really do because they needed to have um captain marvel in endgame i think, I think it's fine I, I i i absolutely you know this the, is a runner-up by the way the, fine yeah. they set it up very nicely yeah um you know the if you don't know the end of infinity war she is called upon by by nick fury with his as, little, with his little um, beeper, like beeper or whatever it is yeah um <laughs> pager um and so you're thinking, okay, she's going to be pretty instrumental to the to end game. Well, she's barely in it, barely in it at all. Well, okay, yeah. Well, 
that's a, that's a discussion about Endgame. Yeah, anyway. Which I'm not getting into. Yeah, by the by. Yes. I'm talking about Captain Marvel, the movie, yeah. which has some excellent female characters, which talks about female friendship, which is very moving and emotional and, and very slow-paced in mm. parts and um, thoughtful in a way that superhero movies aren't normally you know that's not what Taika Waititi is going to do with Thor Ragnarok no and, and there's nothing wrong with that either I love that film but um this shows you that um you know maybe superhero isn't a genre you know it's just a method in the same way that we just talked about war is yeah. it's a method to get your different genre movie over and I just thought that I, I really enjoyed it and it meant something to me and it meant something I think to a lot of little girls in the cinema and maybe boys too but to see that female superhero being the most powerful being yeah you know the thing about yeah. the Black Widow story and I'm yeah. sure that the, the fact that the Black Widow film's coming out now is actually better for feminism because I think they will make it in that sense whereas if they had made it back in the day when Black Widow was introduced which is like Iron Man 2 I think or Iron Man um, it would have been a completely different and bad superhero movie like um wonder woman appearing in justice league it's <laughs> you see what i mean like you have to if, you, if you're trying to change things i definitely think that you have to do it at the right time when everyone's become a little bit more enlightened which we're getting there but anyway don't want to spend too much time on superhero movies but yeah. co co-written directed by a woman which is the first time that that happened i believe yes in the mcu now it's changing going forward. Um, Booksmart by Olivia Wilde, which is a really fun teenage movie, um, just about friendship again. Yeah. Uh, funny, has a absolute, the brilliant performance from Billy Lord. Absolutely love it. She's so good in it. And there's something so heartening about her coming from that famous family and her mother dying recently, and her grandmother, and then she's still carrying on and seems okay considering all the problems that the family has had and she's a wonderful actress and she's lovely to look at on screen um and that's not the only reason it's good but she is the star to me and she's only a bit bit part character in book smart but um that that film it had problems with not doing so well to start with and now i think it's been doing better from word of mouth and hopefully it hasn't hurt olivia wilde's directing career just up to date teenage movie like an American Pie style, but much more giving a yeah. um, believable female experience um, of being a teenager. Um, Hustlers uh, by Lorraine Scafaria, is that his her name? Um, with a brilliant performance from JLo, this gritty mafioso movie basically about these escorts and strippers who start to fleece their. Um, clients and start to get deeper into a bit of an underworld um, and start doing some different things which uh, play on your moral sensibilities. It's just a great film and it's got a real like almost PTA feeling. It's quite dark and, yeah. and brittle and a bit like Scorsese Goodfellas-ish as well and yet you wouldn't know it because of this whole oh it's about women, it's mm. about strippers it's, sorry, from the discourse, from people who haven't seen it, are just making judgments about that it's a sexy film. When really, and you know, the, the women look beautiful in it and you do see them in the pants. But again, going back to my Tamara Jenkins female gaze, when you get a woman behind the camera, you can t- still tell a story yeah. about yeah. women taking their clothes off. And it's just completely different because the camera is not titillating you. The story might be, but it's just, I, I just thought it was a, 
like again a really thought-provoking um yeah like I said brittle is the word I kind of want to use it's it's quite a hard film and I think it shows you the hard choices that the characters have to make which is Constant Wu's character who becomes an escort she needs some money she has a kid at one point in the film she's taken under the wing of JLo's kind of more senior escort who also has yeah a child and I kind of want to talk about it a bit just because I think it's really important that um, we're shown women earning money and spending it and there aren't really men in the pit- picture you know and I just think that like you not really show women doing that particularly if it's from nefarious means like most people will love a film about a drug baron you know which is the same principle using something that you have which is not necessarily legal to get the life you want and it's just um yeah a great a great film um and there's some i haven't even seen yet like honey boy which is a film about shia labeouf's um upbringing and his father um directed by i think you say her name alma harrell um which apparently is excellent still haven't seen but i want to see that portrait um of a lady on fire by um celine siama and i've liked uh i think she made girlhood she's made some other films she's french yeah. Um, that's a film I can't wait to see. Came out last year. Like I haven't even got to all of these films. Um, I saw a film called Lucky Grandma, which was this small um, Chinese film, amazing. Um, I saw Clemency, which is also a Chinese a female director, which is about a um, stars Alfred Woodard as a prison governor, based on a true story. Really hard hitting. Uh, narrative film not documentary but basically about this woman and the hard decisions she has to make when the majority of the people she's sending to the electric chair are black um haven't seen bombshell yet obviously about roger ailes and all of that um experience and um you know a kind of weinstein-esque story of women um in the workplace and um uh all of the things they have to face when they have male sexual predator bosses but I'm looking forward to seeing that. So, yeah, so this is a list of, oh, my God, there's so many good films made and I didn't even see them, so how can they be my best? And then I probably, if we're talking about my favourite, my runner-up is Little Women, mm-hmm. which I absolutely loved, um, which is Greta Gerwig's uh, retelling of the famous story by Louisa May Alcott um, of the four sisters, March sisters, growing up at the beginning of the turn of the last century, um or whenever the where was it when was the american civil war have i got that right end of the 18 something to the 19 early 1960s uh, i think it was 1860s, yeah. okay 1970s. so maybe it was earlier than i thought even and that just has amazing performances tear jerking women on screen doing all sorts of different things even though they're absolutely constrained so really um it should be boring and it's not it's exciting and it's um lively and the action moves backwards and forwards um florence Pugh, florence Pugh is absolutely amazing in it and we've talked about her before she is just mm-hmm. a discovery of the last decade and her portrayal of amy who is a character who can be quite harsh um is just really sympathetic and she's just a joy to watch. Saoirse Ronan's been nominated for her fourth Oscar. She's 25, um, acting Oscar, and she's great. She's great in everything. She's almost great now that she's becoming like Meryl Streep and it's like, I can't even see the greatness anymore. She's just so good. Um, 
Laura Dern's in it and she's great. Meryl Streep's in it and she's great. But I would say this is Greta Gerwig's film. This yeah. is about a writer and director who made something, and we talked about Lady Bird, obviously, before, who has made something and wanted to make this even before she made her own story. Yeah. And got the budget, got the actors, and was able to make a story about something she loved and it's made a ton of money yeah. and is having plaudits. Unfortunately, she hasn't been nominated for enough directing awards. But she has been um, nominated for Adapted Screenplay. Um, I think it's adapted, I presume, because it's adapted from another work. Yeah, presumably, yeah. Yeah. Um, And I really hold all my fingers crossed that she will win the Oscar for that. Her career, and she's just in her 30s, has been amazing. But finally, we get to my film of 2019, um, which is something that a friend asked me to go along to. I knew I wanted to see it, but I didn't really know much about it. And um, I was blown away by this story. Um, and uh, it's, it's particular telling, which is The Farewell, mm-hmm. which is by Lulu Wang, which is a quasi-Chinese-American story about a, um, a girl played by Aquafina who lives in New York, who's in, a, I think she's like classic, late 20s, trying to be an artist, has to have some dodgy day jobs, lives with her, you know, second generation, first generation, I think, born in the US, uh, Chinese immigrant. Uh, she finds out that her beloved grandma is dying, has cancer, and the tradition in China is not to tell the grandparent that they're dying because the idea being that if they know this it it might send them on to death sooner right and if they don't know then it might make them live longer or cure them or what have you and we see the whole story of her thinking being completely incredulous that everyone in the family is agreeing with this yeah. She's so upset and she's so kind of, for want of a better word, millennial about it. She's emoting a lot. She's like, this is outrageous. And all the young people in the family agree with her. They're all of a generation where they're like, you talk about your feelings. You have to tell her this is elder abuse. And then she goes over to China and it's all because her cousin is getting married and decides to have a huge wedding in order to get everybody over there to see the grandma. Yeah. Because otherwise it would be too suspicious and um the actress who plays the grandma whose name i do not know is absolutely amazing um and you never know all the way through whether maybe she does know something because she has all these trips into hospital and she's not feeling very well Mm. and um it's not just that though the story is interesting the performances are really good the way it flips between the languages making it accessible for people is also great but it's ultimately a chinese film financed by american money but it has these really cool cinematographic um, scenes as well and touches like um, overhead shots and spinning around a table, you know, and um, uh, some like dance number stuff and um, just some really... Lulu Wang's use of the camera is really interesting and adds something to it, which is something that you and I talk about a lot, which is a lot of people could make a film about the same story, but what lifts you up to a higher level is if you add your own particular audiovisual touches. And it does make this cinema more yeah. than just a... Which could be quite a saccharine story. Well, it's the purpose of a director, isn't it, in my view? Yes. She directs the hell out yeah. of this film. Yeah. And um, I don't want to say too much, because there will be plenty of people who haven't seen it, but it has a... It's not even really a twist, but there's 
there's there's a postscript there's things that happen at the end of the film which really made me question everything that i'd watched and whether it's right to judge previous cultures and societal values based on what we think is the best approach nowadays but i can't really say much more it's a film that i think people should see to enjoy it it's funny it's moving it has all those things that i need and it's made by a chinese american director and it brought foreign language films to the states and around the world especially chinese language in a way that hadn't really been done by female directors you can talk about ang lee and you know various different directors but i think that for her to do this and pretty new in her directing career in her film directing career is really impressive yeah um, sounds good and it means i finally got to have a film on my list which is semi-foreign language so i feel <laughs> a bit like intellectual now <laughs> but all in all um the end of the decade has been so good i yeah. feel really positive yes there's been there's always going to be an establishment of men wanting to see male stories and it did make me think i don't want to see dunkirk and i don't want to see 1917 and to some extent i don't want to see margot robbie not saying much in once upon a time in hollywood but i still think all of those films are really good yeah i just feel particularly excited about women now are just starting to like have a voice what are they going to do when they've got a voice and they've got a big budget and they've got the bravery and the arrogance that a male director has in order to add these cinematic flourishes you know when we start getting some women making war films but they're going to be like 1917 they're not going to be like the hurt locker Catherine bigelow had to do things that put her in the box i think of traditional male directors well, so maybe that's I, yeah. what she wanted to do i don't know her but I think we're getting to a point now where women are making films on their own terms about their own stories and they are equally as exciting, innovative and fun as films by men. Mm. Shouldn't we tell her? Isn't it wrong to lie? It's a good lie. I just want to thank you so much for spending like four to five hours talking about this. It has been a pleasure. Thanks. Um, I also just want to end with, I forgot about the Bechdel test. And um, I think you're okay with Infinity War. Am I? Yeah. You wouldn't have thought so. Yeah, just about, just about. It's not, there's some, there's some things about battles with like the baddies and who's saying what, you just about pass. Clearly you're not going to pass on 1917. There's, there's one woman listeners in this film. And there's potentially, uh, no, no, no. I was going to say, there's a baby in this film, but I can't remember if it's a girl or a boy. But mm. there's briefly a baby in this film, but basically it's all men. Of course. Um, do you think that you're going to think a little bit more about the Bechdel test and about women on film in the future? <laughs> be I, honest. I honestly don't know. I mean, to me, I've got to be honest, I, I just want a good film. I don't care. I don't care about um, whether it's made by a woman, a man. I don't care about race. Mm-hmm. Um, I, 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 I think uh, films uh, from sort of racial minorities or film by women are in a, are in a, have historically been in a minority, Very and therefore you're so. ju- and therefore you're just less exposed to them. Yeah. Um, are you willing to seek out? Those films. Well, I, 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 th- I certainly think that that there is no reason why 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 
any film industry can't produce the same number of films directed by women and, and as, as men and and, and black when men black women yes. white men white women of all racism color it, it doesn't as i say i just want a good film a good yeah. film that's all it really boils but down we need to. to give opportunities to people so they can give you those Mm. good films yeah. and i think sometimes that's where the problems are well i think i think what what you're talking about and and fair point is 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 that hollywood in particular is utterly dominated by white men which it is no doubt about that and therefore those are the people that make the films i'll be compiling a list of mm. uh, female film directors for you to okay. take note of okay. one quick final question yeah. for the last decade yeah. of all your choices What's your Desert Island disc? What, what, what film? Ooh. What's your top? Okay, so m- most films, I think, yeah. when you watch them, it is sometimes difficult to, to tell what the historical resonance of them is going to be, mm-hmm. so to speak. You, you know whether you like it or not, but you're not really sure how, how people are going to feel about it in 10, 20, 30 years' time. Or what, in other words, have you watched a classic, but you, but you just yes. have to be? And I think most times it's very difficult to tell that. And that can lead to some odd decisions on, on what's a good film and what's not that, get, that, that then get sort of changed over the years. Mm-hmm. But the one film in my list which I was confident is a classic, and I'm still confident is a classic, and I still think will be on many top ten lists of mm-hmm. all time, is The Tree of Life. Yeah. And that's um, your earliest one. Is that 2010? Uh, 11. 11, and okay. That's the one I think, yeah, no doubt. There's no doubt there. Um, I've been saying for the years, by the way, I've been saying for the last 30 years that, that one of the greatest films of all time was 2001. Yes. Now, Every time the BFI released their hundred greatest films list, um, two thousand one, I, I think in I think in does it go up and down? I, I think in nineteen ninety one, I'm not even sure it was on the list. Then in, t- <laughs> then, then in two thousand and one, yeah. the next list, it was on there, but it was you know two thousand eleven, it had now really gone up, and I think by twenty twenty one, so that's next year, mm-hmm. it will be in the top ten if it isn't already. Yeah. And I was saying that thirty years ago that oh, this is one of the greatest films of all time. Only people had listened to you. But my point being is, it's that film is late sixties. It has taken fifty years yeah. for us to get to that point, and I think you know, Tree of Life. It might take it might take fifty years to get there. Okay, maybe Infinity War, maybe Endgame in fifty years, best film ever. It could be, it could be, <laughs> but I'm, 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 I think I'm sort of, I know enough to say that that is a, a of a time and a place. I suspect in ten years' time we're not going to be obsessing over Infinity War. Um, no. It, okay, it, it so doesn't have longevity in the same way that The Tree of Life does. The Tree of Life is your film of, of the, the tenies. Of the decade, yes. Okay, I've, I've, I, I want to choose all of them because that's the point, but I will narrow it down to certain women because I feel like that's the one that's unlike anything else. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think Kelly Reichardt could do with putting a few women of colour in her films, but otherwise... That's a film like no other, and more people need to see it. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. So, see you in 10 years? Yeah. Congratulations. You made it through to the end of part three of my three-part series. Um, Thanks for listening, as always. I'm going to take a bit of a break for a while, because all that stuff I talked about at the start of the podcast um, needs some time. Um. And um, I need to work on, I need to just find a different way to end this podcast. And I want to come back with a fresh crop of female filmmakers and industry experts so we can talk more about how in 
the 20s were going to dominate the film and TV industries. Um, I didn't even get to tell you what Esther Wright said to me. She was previous guest, talked about gaming. Um, she has loads of ideas for how computer gaming can change in the future for women. But I think what I'm going to do is ask her to come back on the podcast because it was a popular episode. So Esther, if you're listening, please come back. And if you have any ideas for guests, please email us at beyondbeck at gmail.com or find us um, at Beyond Beckdale on Twitter. Um, it's always a pleasure to make this podcast. I hope this has been good for you. Thank you so much for listening. Happy 2020. And let the beautiful haunting music by Thomas Newman from the 1917 soundtrack play you into a harmonious 20s. Bye. Bye.